ready to look at Jonah together? Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining us. My name is Matt. If we haven't met yet, my name is Matt. Hi. I'm part of the team here at Faithy. Hi. If you're joining us online, a big welcome to you too. We're glad that you're able to join us in this way using that medium. Uh, and just a word of information for you is we'll be taking communion later in service here. So if at your home you want to gather elements and observe that time with us, we'd be happy to have you join us. So last week, Paul talked about a great wind that blew in a great storm on the Mediterranean Sea. And a group of sailors are caught in the middle of this storm. And Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat and he's brought up when the calamity strikes. And he looked at what our response should be in the midst of the storm. So if you missed that last week, it was a great message, it was a great addition to the series of Jonah. So I'd encourage you to go online to our website and watch or listen to that this next week. So today I get to continue our series in the book of Jonah. And we'll be looking at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. So please take a moment and turn there in your Bible. Or in the seat back in front of you, there is our scripture journals for this series. And then also, if there's not one in the seat in front of you, if you raise your hand, a kind person from the back will be happy to drop one off to you. So if you don't have one, there's not one by you, raise your hand, they'll hand you one. And the intent of these journals is for you to take notes in them, to use them during the week, to look ahead to next week before we even reach there, and uh, study the Bible on your own. That's the goal of these, is to get each of us to study the way that is historically accurate, contextually accurate, and then be able to apply it in our, li- our lives in the way that it was intended to be applied. So I'd encourage you to use those. And we've been studying the Bible using the study method called the OIA, which by way of review is observation, interpretation, application. Would you say those three words with me? Observation, interpretation, application. So we're chiefly concerned with observation, what does the text say? Interpretation, what does it mean? And application, how are we to apply it to our lives? So that's the OIA study method. And why do we keep talking about it? Why do we keep covering what this is? Well, A, we have new people with us each week, so it's great information for anyone who's new with us. We want everybody on the same page. And B, I've said it before, and I'll probably say it many times, I don't often need new information. I need to be reminded about what I already know. So often I don't need new information. I need to be reminded about the reality that already exists. It's always good to be reminded of the fundamentals. But before we look at God's word together, we always encourage ourselves to do one thing. What is that? Pray. So would you bow your heads and let's offer this time up to God together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for today. God, it's a gift and we don't take that for granted. God, thank you for the very breath in our lungs, the air that we're breathing right now, God. And God, in light of what's happening on the world stage in the Middle East, God, I just want to say we are thankful for this space, for this place, to be able to gather here without gunfire in the distance and bombs going off over our head. 
God, I pray that you just put a hedge of protection around this building, that you would protect each and every soul within it. And God, and across Billings, I pray you do the same in those venues for our brothers and sisters around the world. I pray that you'd put a hedge of protection around them as well. And God, we offer that same prayer, that same plea for your people in Israel. God, place a hedge of protection around them. Supernaturally intercede in that situation. Father God, give those world leaders wisdom, your wisdom, and help them move from hate to your love, to your love and away from hate. God, have your peace break out in the Middle East. We pray for shalom. God, and only if that's your will. And God, we see rumors that these might be the last days. What, what does that look like? And God, if that's truly your plan, if the second coming is soon, which is always a day sooner, then our prayer is, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. Help us to be alert and sober-minded and ready for that possibility. And God, help that to give us a greater sense of urgency to share about your love for people around us. God, help us to share the good news of the sacrifice of Jesus to those around us and the love that you have for sinners like us. God, it is beyond words. And God, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as we look at it together. Um, Thank you for being a God who's full of mercy, full of grace, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God, thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. Thank you for this time together. We pray that you would just use the words that we read today to transform us. That you wouldn't just hear the words, we would obey them. Thank you for this time together. We praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we left off with Jonah being thrown into the sea and the raging storm suddenly stopping. And the sailors on the ship responded with worshiping God and making vows to God. But I'd like to connect last week with this week in a kind of a unique way, in a different way of reading and hearing and experiencing the scripture. So if you would, indulge me for a little while and close your eyes and use your mind's eye to imagine this scene again as if you are in it. So here we go. You are on a boat. You're in the midst of a raging storm. The wind is blowing. Waves are coming over the side of the ship. Your eyes are being stung by the salt in the water. And you can barely hear the conversation that's being shouted on the deck of the ship. But you gather through the words that you're catching that the passenger is running from his God and he's the reason the storm's here. (laughs) And you hardly believe when he says the solution, the only solution that he knows will work is to throw him overboard. 
but with no other options on the table, you and your crew, with great reluctance and hesitation, take him to the side of the ship and throw him overboard. And you watch him disappear into the churning water, into the darkness of the waves. And then suddenly, the entire atmosphere changes and the water is completely still and the air is silent all around you. It is eerily quiet. And it takes you a few minutes just to grasp what has actually happened. The God of this prophet Jonah has delivered you from certain death and it causes you to drop to your knees and worship God. And you marvel at the selfless sacrifice of Jonah, his prophet, and the might of the God he serves. The end. Right? Wouldn't this make a great ending to this book? It's actually a more satisfying ending than what we'll see later at the end of the book, which is very abrupt if you've been reading ahead. You know, it's a little shorter. Yeah, there's a few loose ends, but we can manage that. But what we don't see is the story is continuing just below the glassy surface of the sea. The same grace and mercy that God has extended to the sailors is now being extended to his prophet. And that's where we pick back up the story. Here's one of the sequels to this continuing saga here in 117. Let's read this together. All right, follow along. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Plot twist. So here are some observations I made while I was looking at the scripture this past week. They're listed in your bulletin too. Some of the observations are the key elements at play in this, the key characters. The Lord, you have Jonah the prophet, and you have a huge fish. Three days and three nights also stuck out to me. I see a prayer, Jonah's prayer. He prayed, there's a prayer. 
Um, I see a lot of C illustrations. What's that all about? I see this downward spiral pattern. He's going down, down, down throughout the passage. And there's a contrast. We're in the middle there, in the middle of the prayer. It says, but you, Lord, my God. And then a little bit further, it says, but I. So you have, but you, but God, and but I, but Jonah. You have those two contrasts. Then salvation comes from the Lord. That also stuck out to me. So maybe you had some of those observations. Maybe you'd like to write them down now. Um, And we're always open to you sending in your observations because we'd love to see what you're coming up with too. You can email those to us at info at faithy.org. That'd be great. So I noticed that today's passage also lines up with last week's passage in some interesting ways. It parallels it. So here's a list of the two chapters and some of the elements that are common to both of them. So in 1-4, you see crisis on the sea, and in chapter 2, you see crisis in the sea. And in 1-14, you see a prayer to the Lord, and you see another prayer to the Lord in 2-2 and 7. And then in 15, in, verse, in chapter 1, you see deliverance from the storm, and here in chapter 2, you see Jonah's deliverance from drowning. And then in both cases, this deliverance results in sacrifice and vows being offered to God. Interesting. So with all those observations in mind, let's take again another look at this passage. In verse 17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Don't miss the word provided. The Lord provided the fish. And the word provided here, interestingly enough, is translated into a different English word for almost every translation of the Bible. And here's a list with some of the translations, the most common ones from the most literal at the top moving down to the most thought for thought at the bottom. So the NASB, the most thought for thought, says, or word for word, they use designated. ESV uses appointed. Net uses sent, and this is more thought for thought. NIV uses provided. NLT is arranged. The message is assigned. And see, when you see a different word in the English being used for the same Hebrew word across translations, it's a key to you to understand that this word is actually hard for the translators to translate. It actually means all of these things. And so with all of these together, it gives you a broader picture of what it means when the NIV says, the Lord provided the fish. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I was in Sunday school and I heard this story of Jonah in the well, uh, usually accompanied by a nice flannel graph. Um, man, when I heard this story and I heard that Jonah was tossed over the side of the boat, bad deal, and then he goes inside a well, that's a worse deal in my mind. Um, so it seemed like a bad day going from bad to worse. But actually, what's actually happening here is the well is God's salvation for Jonah. It is a custom tailor-made fish made specially for this occasion. And it's there to deliver Jonah in the midst of his drowning to help him avoid certain death. So what kind of a fish was it? That seems to be a common question that we get when we look at this passage. Is there a species big enough to swallow a man? I've read a couple of interesting articles about people who've encountered wells recently in the last couple of years and they were swallowed by them. But really what it was is they were inhaled into the mouth and then exhaled pretty quickly. So the longest was 30 seconds and he was using scuba gear. 
So still terrifying, but not swallowed whole, which seems to be indicated here. He was in the belly for three days and three nights, which is also interesting because fish stomachs are a lot like our stomachs in the sense that it's a muscle that's specially designed to digest food. So that is rather uncomfortable. So how would someone survive for three days and three nights in a well or in a fish? Now, for some people, this part of the story is hard to digest, pun intended. (laughs) But then they make the mistake of writing off the whole story as some kind of a parable that God's telling. But I want to remind us about the God that is at the center of this story. He's the God who made creation with speaking words. He made all created things. He made all sea creatures. And while on earth, Jesus had the power from God to give sight to the blind, to heal all kinds of sickness, to drive out demons, and even rise from the dead after being in the belly of the earth for three days. It seems to me that sustaining Jonah for three days and three nights in the belly of wells is well within the capability of the Lord our God. Amen? And God often orchestrates these moments in our lives too. The fish is God's mercy on full display in the sea. He orchestrated this moment for Jonah to experience his mercy and grace anew and bring him to that point of obedience. And often he does the same in our lives. It might be that morning when you spend a little time with God and it is quiet in your house because everyone else is still asleep. And it's those few precious moments before all of the kids start running down the stairs for breakfast. That could be a space to experience God's grace. Or it could be when you arrive home and you spend an extra moment in the driveway just pausing long enough to let the day fall off of you so that you can be fully present with those you love when you go in through that front door. Or it could be that during deployment, You know, you have a spouse that's deployed or a child that's deployed and you're just waiting, good news, bad news, you're in that waiting space. And that space too is a place where you can experience God's mercy and grace. Or it might be that you're unemployed. Being between jobs is a scary place to be. But again, maybe it's just the perfect place that God has orchestrated for you to more greatly rely on him. Or maybe it's at the bedside of a loved one or the graveside of a loved one. These spaces are all opportunities to experience God's mercy and grace anew in our lives. And God orchestrates many of those. Now the next verse begins the poem in this passage. The rest of Jonah is told in this first person, or the third person perspective as a narrative. So it's a story about Jonah, and here we see it actually changed to a first person perspective. It's a poem written from the perspective of Jonah. And as readers, we are to make a shift from being outside observers to an active participant in the story. The writer wants you to imagine each of the illustrations as Jonah describes them his ordeal, each and every blow, just like we did at the beginning for last week's message. 
So as we work through this text, I don't want us just to read it. I want you to imagine it and really put yourself in Jonah's sandals, in his chacos, in the sea, in the fish. So we continue in chapter two. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, and this is our memory verse, so let's say this together. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. See, Jonah begins by summarizing the rest of the prayer. He's talking about his distress and God's deliverance. There's some cause and effect going on here. I called, he answered, I called, you listened. And that's actually a promise we can claim today from Scripture as well. If we call out, it says he will listen. He not only listens, but he answers. It might not be the answer you're looking for, but he does answer. And here I just want to pause and ask a question. Is there a prayer that you've left unsaid between you and God? Is there a prayer that you've left unsaid between you and God? Is there an area, a need, a hope, a request that you're hesitating to bring before him? Maybe you're not sure he's interested enough to listen. Or maybe you are afraid of the answer that he's going to give. Or maybe you're not sure if he's really listening at all. Well, I want to encourage you with this today, that scripture is full of examples of God listening to his people, to the prayers of his people. He not only listens, he answers. God hears you, he's listening. And if you're listening, if you have ears to hear, he will answer you. So is there a prayer request you've left unsaid? We encourage you to write a word or phrase or a part of that prayer that you left unsaid to God in your bulletin or in your journal. Just take a few moments right now to go ahead and do that. Write a part of that prayer, something you've left unsaid to God. Because in this passage, we see that God heard Jonah's prayer. And this is a man who was running both literally and figuratively from God when God heard his prayer. So that should be of a great encouragement to us to bring our needs before God as well. Then Jonah's poem takes us to the moment to when he hits the water. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. He says, you, as in God. See, the sailors are the ones who threw him overboard, who hurled him into the depths. But Jonah clearly recognizes that it was the Lord working through the sailors to bring about his judgment. The Lord used the sailors to toss Jonah overboard, to bring Jonah to a place to receive God's mercy and grace. Now, as I read the rest of this, put yourself in Jonah's place. It's a poem. Imagine what he's feeling as he describes the events below the water. He says, and imagine this, the current current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I imagine Jonah in the water, the waves crashing down on him, 
almost like the judgment of God crashing down on him over and over, pushing him deeper into the water, deeper into the arms of God. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And I imagine Jonah's bobbing to the surface of the water just long enough to catch a glimpse of the coastline. The coastline that behind it is Jerusalem and the temple as he prays this. Catches one last glimpse before disappearing below the waves. He goes on to say, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's the downward spiral. He's going deeper and deeper and deeper. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And this is the moment where Jonah hits rock bottom. He is in a complete desperate state, completely reliant on God for deliverance and salvation. You see, we see in Jonah's life what God wants to do in each of our lives. He has to move us to a place of surrender, and he will move you to a place of surrender, where we surrender to his will for our lives. And that looks different for each of us, but much like Jonah's journey, it often involves a lot of suffering. But each bitter experience with suffering is an opportunity for us to turn to God. With every experience when we have suffering, it's an opportunity to turn to God. You see, Jonah needed the right posture before God, before he was willing to turn to God. And it took a lot of suffering for him to get there. Jonah needed to be humbled by God before he was willing to be used by God. That's true for us too. We need to be humbled by God before we can be used by God. And that's when God hears his prayer. And the prayer begins with two of the most important words in scripture, but God. It continues in verse six, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So I'd like us to take a few minutes right now to remember God's faithfulness, his mercy, and his grace. And we're gonna do that today through the sacrament of communion. So around the room, we have six tables. If you're joining us online, we'd like you to get out your elements there as well. But why don't you take some time, move to the tables, and then we'll observe, we'll remember the Lord together. Go ahead and do that now.
those elements. Take a few moments to remember God's faithfulness in your life. Those spaces that he orchestrated for you to experience his mercy and his grace. His mercy, those moments where we didn't get what we deserved. Those moments of grace when we received his undeserved favor instead. Thank him for that. Take a few moments to remember those moments. In 1 Corinthians, we see Jesus, we see Paul saying of Jesus, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it. Let's break it together. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember his sacrifice together. So Jonah remembers God and God hears his prayer. And the prayer continues in verse eight. And he talks with God about the issue of Nineveh. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. In verse six, we saw, but God. And here in verse eight, we see, but Jonah, but I, but Jonah. You see, when God moves towards us, we must make a choice to move toward him. When God moves towards us, our response should be to move toward him. And salvation comes from the Lord. And in the Hebrew mind, salvation refers to deliverance from trial. It's deliverance from trial. Jonah is realizing that deliverance from trials comes from God alone. He is both praising God for his own salvation and deliverance, and he's committing to being open to proclaiming the possibility of deliverance and salvation to the Ninevites, to the enemies of Israel. The idea of salvation also continues in the New Testament specifically to deliverance from the ultimate trial, eternal death. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. But then it goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. We see another passage that says, but God. We are sinners, but God. The difference is God's mercy and grace at work in our lives. We are forgiven and doing our best to become fully surrendered disciples. You'll see a lot of folks walking around with these bracelets on, fully surrendered disciples. And if you'd like your own, 
They're always in the baskets at the back of the room, so you can pick one up on your way out any week. This past week, at a conference, we learned that the word disciple, or in the Greek, mathetes, it simply means a learner, someone who is a learner. So we want to become fully surrendered learners of the ways of Jesus. And fully surrendered means that we're actually obeying the commands. We're not just agreeing with the Bible. We're obeying the Bible. As he moves towards us, we are moving towards him, but God. And just like God provided the well to deliver Jonah, showing Jonah his mercy and grace, God became the provision for our deliverance. He became the provision to show us his mercy and grace. See, he stepped down into human history and became a man. And he sacrificed, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, for our sin, to deliver us, to bring us salvation. So that we might become, we might become learners of the ways of Jesus, embracing his grace, responding to his mercy his undeserved favor in our lives. And we're to respond just like the sailors and Jonah responded, in worship and in making vows to God. But in our context, we don't often refer to it as a vow. You might have heard it called a sinner's prayer or something similar to that. That's a vow to the God that you're making that you're gonna become a fully surrendered disciple a fully surrendered learner of the ways of Jesus. So if you want to make a vow to God, if this is your first time to make that vow, I want to ask you to do a simple thing, one simple thing. Make some kind of a physical gesture towards God, whether it's a hand on your heart, almost like a pledge, or just a hand extended, or both hands extended. But today, God has moved toward you. And maybe today is your moment to move back toward God. And I'd invite you to silently say something like this to yourself. You don't have to do this word for word, but just something similar. Make it your own. It's just acknowledging that I have sinned. Thank you for sacrificing for me for overcoming death to give me eternal life. Thank you for moving toward me. Help me to move toward you. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace, your undeserved favor in my life. Thank you for your deliverance, for your salvation. And if you made a first time decision, a first time vow to God, we would absolutely love to hear about it. Because the Christian life is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in the body. And we would love to stand with you. So tell somebody next to you about it, or come forward and tell one of the pastors at the front, we would love to talk with you and celebrate with you and worship God with you for the mighty way that he has saved your life. And if you're still on the fence, I want you to know that's okay too. But I want to encourage you that God is moving toward you still. I ask you to consider, maybe make a step in his direction, move towards him.
And then in this passage, it ends with, so we've seen God move, we've seen Jonah move, and now the fish moves. So in the final verse for today, we read in verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. See, Jonah has been delivered from the sea, from certain death, onto dry land. And again, this would make a great ending to the book of Jonah. The prophet almost dies. He's saved from drowning by the mother of all plot twists. And he's had a heart-to-heart with God. And he said, nope, God, you've moved towards me. I am now moving towards you. I can't but imagine that the credits start rolling at this point. You know, like the movie, and there's this, there, but there's this hidden scene embedded in the credits. You just see this fish popping its head out of the water. Jonah goes sailing through the air, lands on the sandy shore, gets up and wipes the sand off of his clothes, and, well, that just happened. And he walks off into the distance towards the city of Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh. And then, end scene, the lights go down, screen goes black. Setting the stage for a killer sequel. And for that, you'll have to return next weekend. So this week, the challenge I want you to leave with today is this. To use your journal and to look at next week's passage. It's pretty short, only three verses. So go ahead and use it to look at that and make observations, interpretations, and applications. Or at the very least, I'd encourage you to just read it a couple times. Spend a day, read it a couple times. You won't regret it. Take that step to move toward God. He's moving towards you already. And then I'd encourage you to take some time this afternoon or this evening to pray some of those unsaid prayers that you wrote down earlier. Or if you didn't write them down, just bring those up before God. Know that he's listening to you and he will answer you. He loves you so very much. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks for being here.